So, as I mentioned earlier, we're in the second month of our three-month series on the three characteristics, the first month being dukkha, or suffering, this month being uh, anicca, or impermanence, instability. And the third month, the month we're going to enter after this talk, on anatta, or not-self. Sometimes the most cryptic or misunderstood of these. All three of these topics interact. They interweave quite a lot. It's very hard to talk about impermanence without mentioning at some point suffering. And we were also naturally led, and I'm sure I'll be led at some point during this talk, to talk about how impermanence connects to not-self, this idea of a changing, non-permanent uh, sense of self, uh, the sense of self being actually impermanent and not, not quite as fixed as we make it out to be. So this month, some, we've covered a number of topics, and as I was listening to all of the talks that have been given, so far, there's so many topics that I, I just want to call in. Uh, since this is the last talk of the month, I'll briefly mention some of the topics that have come up that we won't address directly, but I think it's helpful to call them to mind. We started talking about the connection to dukkha, and in particular, one kind of suffering is what's called viparinamadukkha, or what is not wanting pleasant experiences to end, right? That's impermanence right there. And that's a form of challenge uh, that comes from impermanence. There are ways in which impermanence can feel really good and some ways in which it can feel really bad. And that's one of the challenges when something's good, not wanting it to end. Lindell talked about instability as another way of thinking of impermanence, you know, and a certain kind of impermanence, right? She described this retreat that she went on in which so many things that were unexpected occurred, and it created this feeling like, well, what's next? What's going to happen? Uh, it's hard to know what's going to happen next. And when we're really sitting with uncertainty and really feeling how uncertain life is, there can be this feeling of instability. What, what is it that we can trust, that we can, we can think of as solid ground? We talked about practicing with impermanence as a way of building up tolerance for that instability. We talked about impermanence and connection. The fact that connections and relationships are things that, you know, we can experience suffering in when they change or come to an end. Sue's brought up the perspective that this teacup is already broken. Right? We can see that all things now are at some point in the future going to be subject to change or dissolution entirely. Talked about how change can be good, how things are precious. And we recognize their preciousness when we recognize impermanence and change. We also see that not only do good things end, hard things end too, right? 
there's another form of impermanence uh, being helpful sometimes, being uh, a source of ease. We talked about impermanence as a pathway into seeing not-self, how the self we create, these ideas of our identities, I am a underscore, I am a, insert your career or what you've occupied your time with in your life. I am a teenager. <laughs> I am a son. I am a, I am a daughter. I am a father. I am a mother. All of these things, they are, they are identities we take up. We hold them in a certain way for a certain period of time and they change over time. So today I want to talk about impermanence as a practice. So to give some context for what I mean, uh, the teacher Rob Burbia gives a retreat in which he, uh, well, gave a retreat, I should say, he passed away recently, um, in which he describes that we go about the world with different ways of seeing you know, different lenses that we put on the world. Uh, we can have a comparing mind often. We're comparing our situation to that of others. Uh, it might be that we're comparing our qualities. It might be that we're comparing our material goods, uh, the conditions of our lives. We often do this, right? We can go around looking, and then when we see someone and we see what they're experiencing, we have that specific lens of comparing it to ourselves, which is different, of course, from imagining life from their perspective or really seeing things the way they might see, this more connected way of seeing things, perhaps. Another way of seeing is fixing mind. I had this, oh goodness, it was last night. I was sitting on my couch in this room, that couch over there, I, and I looked around. And suddenly all I could see was everything that was awry in the room, everything that was wrong, that, you know, clutter that needed to be put away or a picture that was slightly off, you know, on the wall. It wasn't quite square with the floor. And, you know, my instinct was to go and fix it all. And I, I, I managed to stop myself and just, you know, marvel, you know, because I was thinking about impermanence in this talk. And, you know, and I was thinking, my goodness, this is a way of seeing. I just, I'm struck with this way of seeing all the things in my room is, is incorrect. <laughs> so another way of seeing that Rob Burbier was, uh, was encouraging in his retreat was seeing impermanence as a practice. And this is what I mean when I say impermanence as a practice we can develop a lens and we can cultivate a lens in which as we look around the world, we see how the things that are around us will change. We see how our responses to them are changing. You know, you might think of how you felt when you woke up this morning. Is it exactly like you feel now? Is it how you felt last night? And yet, if you're like me, sometimes I wake up and I have this notion that this is how the day is going to be. 
<laughs> you know, how I wake up in the morning and feel, I will cast this, this projection that, oh, this is this kind of day. <laughs> or I'm feeling, I'm grumpy, or I'm tired, and I'm going to be tired. Or, you know, I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, you know, whatever it is, or it's, this is a wonderful day, and I'll be surprised that it changes, and it's not so wonderful at some point during the day, whatever it is. You know, if we can, if we can instead invite impermanence as a way of seeing, noting how things change and noting the moments at which we notice the changes, that's a way of seeing. So why do this? Before I talk about impermanence more as a practice, and I want to lead us into even um, a, a brief meditative practice, a practice where we're going to sit and cultivate that lens. But before I do that, why would we do such a thing? this. There are probably a, a, a wide variety of benefits that I can talk about to cultivating impermanence. Um, one that uh, I, I think Lyndall mentioned in her talk was, was cultivating a tolerance for impermanence, right? Just preparing ourselves for the fact that the world is an impermanent place. And the more we can get used to that, the more uh, we, we can the more we can uh, lessen our suffering, you know, in moments of deep change. But one thing, one thing that comes to me is also that we can let go of negative states and lenses when we see impermanence. It's just something that happens automatically almost. When you look around or when you sense into the fact that things are constantly shifting, you know, even in the meditation I just led, I asked us to keep a ground, right? An anchor, like breath or feeling in your hands or whatever it was for you. I noted it's maybe a relatively less changing <laughs> phenomenon, but it's not an unchanging phenomenon. There's nothing that's really unchanging in our experience. Change is the nature of everything. The breath isn't the same from moment to moment. You know, it, it may feel like something of a constant as our minds go from one place to another and we can recognize with some comfort, ah, there's the breath again. There's something relatively solid, but even breath, it's not entirely solid. So when we sense into this, right, when we sense into this feeling that things are changing, I, I have a natural tendency to let go of you know, we kind of see, oh, well, there, there's just no point in hanging on. Maybe that's what's happening in me. I don't know what it is exactly. It's a felt sense of just, okay, here I am adrift. I'm just going to let go. So one example um, of letting go of a negative state, I was, I was taking, so I went to the Folklife Festival yesterday, and I had made the choice in advance to uh, take the bus coming back. I'd been dropped over there by a friend and um, I took the bus coming back. And it had been a while since I, I used to take the bus all the time. It had been a while since I'd taken the bus. And the first thing that happened, of course, is, you know, I looked at the bus route back, looked at the right stops that I should go to, which is the fastest way of getting home. And I got to the bus stop, I, you know, I walked a, a, a distance to this bus stop, and then I, 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 brought, I realized that the bus I was expecting to come in two minutes 
was a phantom bus. It's one of those, you, anyone who's taken the bus knows about this, right? You know, it's just not coming. It's on the schedule. It's supposed to arrive in two minutes, but it's not, it's just not there. And I felt this, oh, like, this is why I haven't been taking. You just can't rely on the bus system. It's just going to do this every time. And I just felt this grumpiness, like, oh, why did I even choose to do this? Why, you know, and I remembered all the good reasons and, and all of this. And then so, you know, a short while later, I found, you know, a, I, I moved to another bus stop and I, I got the bus that was going to take me home and it was fine. And I was sitting on the bus and I was still kind of holding on to this. You know, I was like, I, and the notion that I was holding on to in this case was this like, ugh, the bus, it always just sucks when I take it. And I, and I, and I realized I was sitting, I was looking, I was right next to the window. It was a peaceful moment. I was crossing uh, the, the bridge, the I think the Ballard Bridge is, you know, is the one we were crossing. The sun was setting. It was just beautiful. And it was also this moment where it felt a bit more connected than I'd, if I'd been driving. You know, I was sitting here with all these other individuals. And if I had just, you know, and I recognized, oh, that feeling I had before, it's just gone. And the only thing that was keeping me with that feeling was this sort of constructed notion I had. Oh, here I am on the bus, and this is my story of being on the bus today. And if, as soon as I let go of that, it was just so nice. <laughs> I just felt so good about that moment. And it, that happens when we let go. That happens when we stop sort of fixing uh, these ways of being, these mental constructs, you could say. Right? So another thing, so that's letting go. That's a benefit of impermanence. Another thing we do is we can see more clearly what's happening in the moment. Right? We dispel these fixed ideas and constructs, just like I was saying. But when we see more clearly, we're, we're more generally, we're all here in this project in some way to see more clearly, right? If you're here at this talk, you see some benefit to seeing more clearly our lives, right? That's probably a part of why you're here. But just to remind us, you know, we dispel the illusions when we see more clearly. We, 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 we don't live within these illusions that come back to bite us, that we know they come back to bite us when we pretend that what's, what's real in our lives is something other than what's truly real, right? You know, it's been pointed out this month that there's so much joy in being fully present and seeing more clearly, being fully alive. Think about your best memories. If you're like me, there are moments when you felt really, truly alive and present, you know? So this is part of that project of seeing more clearly what's happening in the moment, dispelling these illusions, right? It's seeing impermanence. So lastly, another thing that's come up is it can be really simplifying when we really get in touch with impermanence. We work so hard to control life. And impermanence teaches us how little we can actually control. Right? Sue's mentioned, we only have the job of choosing how we respond to life. Isn't that a relief? <laughs> Think of the relief in that. It's so much simpler than we make it when we try to control things. And this is part of why 
I think seeing death and putting life into perspective through death can actually be such a source of relief, you know? You know, I, I think about the sort of small things that we worry about in life all the time. You know, I've been worried about uh, finding some, you know, I, I, I've been consulting and patching work together since losing a permanent job. And I've been worried about that. But then, you know, if I think, boom, death, ah, oh, it's a relief. You know, it's, it's, you know, I, I see, I see life in this grander perspective, you know, I can still feed myself just fine, you know, and, and I, I feel grateful for that fact. That's not true for everyone, right? There's this big thing looming in my future and everyone's future, <laughs> this great equalizer of death, right? You know, it, it really makes us focus on what's important. It disrupts comparing mind when we see that everyone will die. With Tuere's son passing, Thaddeus is passing, there was this ceremony just earlier this month that made me think, wow, oh, I want this kind of death. <laughs> I want people to remember me this way, you know, in the way that that ceremony showed Thaddeus being remembered. And it made me realize that so many of the things I spend time focusing on, think of all the things you focus on and worry about in your life. If you're like me, so many of them have nothing to do with how I want my life remembered or how I want to impact others or how I want things to be seen in that moment when I've passed. Right? It's, it's very helpful. It's very simplifying to remember death sometimes. Okay, I'm talking a lot about this. I want to lead us in a meditation. So to do that, I need to use these next few minutes I have before we break out into groups somewhat skillfully. So this is going to be a short meditation, perhaps just five minutes. And my instruction for these few minutes is to only look at change. Don't worry so much about seeing clearly. Don't worry if you know what it is that's changing, even if it just feels like a subtle shifting of textures, fluidity during this meditation. Go with it. All we're doing is this felt sense of change. So our focus will be moments when we notice change or impermanence. There will be moments when we don't notice during this meditation. But when you do notice, Note it, right? That's our focus. I'll begin with the bell. And when you hear this bell, notice it changing.
and eventually the bell fades away. Now focus on your hands, just the feeling in your hands. Notice how it's constantly changing. Perhaps a tingle in one moment. Perhaps a sense of temperature, a sense of your blood pounding through or your pulsing through. Notice that our perceptions of what's happening change, not just the physical feeling, not just the senses, but our perception. In one moment, it may be pleasant what we see in our hands. In the next moment, an unpleasantness. They arise, they pass, they don't stay the same. We can tap into our thinking mind. Oh goodness, so much change. For me, here a snippet of a song, here a reflection. One thing, then the other. Now open in this last minute or two to the totality of experience, this whole mass texture of experience. All the sense doors, notice how in every moment it changes.
can raise your hand or unmute. If there's anything that came up. Lauren, go ahead. Well, I noticed that there was two ways of perceiving the change. And one way uh, was rep- memory was helping me say there is uh, some stability in this change because I have heard this. I, I recognize the bell. Um, I recognize my the feeling of my hands on my um, legs. This is familiar to me. And so I was seeing memory and kind of name and form as a process of adding, superimposing uh, permanence, a, a sense of permanence on change. Underneath everything, I could sense the instability, like what um, what uh, um, Lyndall was talking about, that there is a, an instability underneath, but I could see my tendency to put, that the mind helps to put this stability in organization and, and this is permanent, this feeling, this is permanent, even yeah. though it's not permanent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We create patterns, don't we? With yeah. Our that, that create permanence out of impermanence. Yeah, the routine, you know, yeah. like the routine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before I go to Lillian and Nikhil, I, I wanted to mention there's a really cool podcast I listened to this week that's on this note. Um, it talks about how what we actually see, what, what data actually comes in through our eyes and what our brain does to make sense of it, to create a pattern or a habit. And there's this really interesting experiment. You might all want to try this for a moment. Our our eyes, first of all, are constantly moving around, right? As we move through uh, the day, if you walk from here to the next room, your eyes are going here, 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 here. They're just moving around all the time. But what our minds do is they create a consistent, constant pattern. We don't notice that our eyes are, if you just try, you know, look, look to the side, not at the screen, perhaps and look more or less in the same direction, but just let your eyes kind of do the thing where they move, they flip back and forth. You'll see one scene, right? Your brain turns it into one scene, but then there's this cool way of disrupting it. There's a way that our eyes are not used to movement that you can use to disrupt it. And what it is is if you take your finger and you just gently push on the side of your eye, So it's just wobbling your eye a little bit. Your vision wobbles in a way that it does not change when your eyes flip back and forth. And it's just, it's not, your, your mind isn't programmed to, uh, your, your eyes and brain are not programmed to respond to that kind of movement and create a a pattern. So you can see both the pattern creation and also this way that, you know, when we can disrupt that. Anyway, I just thought it was so cool. And it's such an example of this way our minds are constantly creating patterns. Um, Lillian and Nikhil. Um, yeah, actually what you were talking about, with the, this isn't what I was going to share, but what you were mentioning with, about the eyes reminded me of something I'd read about how our eyes are always, you know, kind of like what you're talking about, they're also making these micro movements that you can't perceive. 
and are if you if you just focus in on one spot, your vision actually just like goes away because you're not seeing any sort of differential. Um, so that that reminded me of um, oh. that too. But um, uh, yeah, I guess when we were doing the meditation, one uh, one thing that stood out to me was noticing kind of the impermanence of the quality of my mind during the meditation, mm-hmm. or like even just my attention or my focus, where um, sometimes it'll be more focusing on the object of my attention, and sometimes it would be uh, more distracted, just like kind of noticing the change of, of kind of the, the change of just like the quality of my mindfulness, I guess. Yeah, yeah. That's what I noticed the most too, Nikhil. Um, I, I noticed that there were changes in the actual sensory input, but a lot of the changes were in my mind, you know, whether it was what I was filtering out or filtering in. <laughs> Uh, or, you know, just my, the sort of emotional slash thought space shifting from one thing to the next to the next. Yeah. Okay. I want to, um, take a moment where you can break out into rooms. And while I'm setting this up, uh, I'll leave you with the inquiry that I wonder if you, you know, you, you can always discuss anything that's come up. Um, but if you want to prompt, it's what did you notice or what do you notice when you're focused on impermanence when when you're trying to practice impermanence what do you see all right i'll take this moment to break us into groups if anyone uh needs to to leave welcome back everyone So there's a time now for any sharing with the group, any comments or questions that came up, anything you want to reflect on from your group interaction, as long as you're not talking about what someone else told you that may have been in confidence. You can raise your hand in the in the chat by clicking reactions. It's at least at the bottom of my screen and clicking raise hand. Yeah, Judith. Okay, well, one thing that I mentioned and that I have been thinking about a lot is what does equanimity feel like? Um, (laughs) uh, And I was, you know, I've been contemplating because I can see myself uh, reacting to various changes and not wanting some things to change and wanting other things to change faster and, um, and thinking, and then, and then some changes that I'm just basically indifferent to, mm-hmm. you know, and, but indifference obviously is not the same as equanimity. And so I was, and of course, equanimity is something I would really like to cultivate. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it seems like to me, maybe when I actually let go of something, which I can't force myself to do, but which does happen and happens probably more quickly than it used to, mm-hmm. that that feeling of letting go, maybe that's what equanimity feels like. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you, what do you think it feels like? I'm glad you answered that. Yeah, and I'm curious, when you when you notice the changing nature of things, 
does it does it have an effect on your equanimity or your your ability to let go it depends it depends on what the change is yeah. you know um yeah for example i have uh like everybody some very deeply conditioned patterns of response that are much more difficult to let go of and I can, I can see little, sometimes micro changes mm-hmm. in the way I'm responding to these. And so then I think, you know, I'm, a, I'm, I'm kind of, kind of maybe removing something from the aversion box and gradually shifting it to the equanimity box. I mm-hmm. can picture it or the attachment box. Um, so yeah, it really depends. It depends on whether it's a change I'm perceiving that I like or that I don't like, or that I don't care about. Yeah. 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 That makes a lot of sense. Thank you. Yeah. I, I, I noticed that I'm just reflecting for myself also. There is, you know, I think we probably all have a notion of what equanimity feels like for us. You know, we hear that word, we have an understanding of that word, and we also maybe have a felt sense, you know, of what it feels like in our bodies. You, you mentioned letting go and that being associated. I can really relate to that. Um, there's almost, there is a feeling for me, and this is just, you know, this is my own personal experience of it. It doesn't necessarily translate of being um, of being movable without pain. You know, I almost imagine that I'm floating kind of, you know, have you ever done this thing where you're in the ocean or you're in a pool and you just kind of float limp on the surface? And then if a, a wave hits you, you just kind of go. <laughs> and then if one hits you the other way, you just kind of move the other way. There's a feeling like that. Mm-hmm. my body that occurs when I'm feeling equanimous, when I'm feeling like I'm not suffering the changes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, thank you for that inquiry. Yeah. Sean and Bruce. Hi. Hi, everybody. It's so good to be back. (laughs) Good to see you back. Yeah. So I just wanted to say, Arv, I just really enjoyed your talk, Um, especially all of your personal sharings and examples. I related to the bus story was a really good one to the waking up in the in the morning, like maybe in a funky mood and thinking the whole day is going to be that way. I was so happy to hear that because sometimes I think that I'm the only person who wakes up like this, you know. Well, I know Bruce wakes up like this, but everybody else wakes up really, really happy, happy, happy. And that was really great. And then and then when you were holding, not comparing so much, I forget exactly how you went about it, but holding up death as, well, how is this when I think about death? That was just, it was just really beautiful how you wove that together. And all of it was 
impermanence. The whole, all, every example is just really great. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Yeah, I'm glad you relate to those. It's always lovely to see connection in these, right? When we when we hear something that someone else shares and we recognize how common that experience is, you know, we, it's not just us, it's everyone <laughs> who feels these things. Yeah. I wanted to mention one thing also. Um, we did this impermanence practice as a meditation, right? We sat and we did this. I think this is one of the greatest practices for me to do in daily life, to do as you move around, as opposed to just sitting. You know, I was doing it this morning, just sort of, you know, inadvertently because I was thinking about this talk. I was just noticing, like, you know, I was, I had to make, I'm making coffee, making breakfast, pottering around, moving from one room to another and shifting things. And in doing so, just noticing how much my mind moved, how much things just changed, how much, you know, of course, the things I was seeing, the sensory input was changing. I was moving from one place to another. I was picking up, a, 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 you know, the water, what do you call the thing that boils water? It's not a water heater, whatever it is, the pot that boils water. I pick it up, I put it down, I hear pouring. So there are those sensory things. Of course, those are changing. But to notice how much your mind and your responses change in response to these things that go on in daily life, to notice how much it changes from pleasant to unpleasant to back to, and back to pleasant in subtle ways. You know, sometimes I, I wouldn't have normally caught it. But, you know, suddenly something will become slightly annoying. <laughs> And then go back to feeling pleasant. And I, I might not have even noticed that annoyance if I weren't paying attention. Uh, but it comes and it goes, these vedanas, these feeling tones, unpleasant, pleasant, unpleasant, pleasant, all the time. To notice it in daily life, um, I would just encourage everyone to try this out for a few minutes of your day, you know, when you're in the middle of something else. Um, and if you can, you know, thoughts are trickier, but you can notice your thinking. Notice how it shifts. Even more subtle, noticing your intentions. You know? Noticing when you formulate the idea, oh, I'm going to move from here to this next room. Oh, I'm going to do the next thing. Oh, I'm going to, you know, I, I need to focus on some other thing. I'm going to move and do that. Before any movement takes place, before your arm lifts or your feet walk, some intention is formed. Can you notice those shifting? You know, you can go to many layers of practice in your daily life with this, this, this way of seeing of impermanence. So I just wanted to mention that because it was a particularly rich experience to do while moving around before, before I sat down today to sit with all of you. Okay. Perhaps we should move now. Oh, gee. It's time for announcements.